Listen for the word of God in Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 20. In Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet and had never walked, for he had been crippled from birth. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul, looking at him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priests of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. He and the crowds wanted to offer a sacrifice. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We are mortals, just like you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from those worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to follow their own ways, yet he has not left, uh, left himself without a witness in doing good, giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they scarcely retained the crowds from offering sacrifices to them, Paul and Barnabas, or Zeus and Hermes. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won over the crowds. Then they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went into the city. The next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. The word of God. We think. <laughs> Have you ever had a misunderstanding because of a language barrier? Wow, I hear a little murmuring. Please raise your hands if you've had an understanding because of a language barrier. Yes. Us ESL people, right? <laughs> English is my second language. Uh, and I grew up speaking Afrikaans from South Africa and have had quite a few uh, problematic experiences where language was a barrier. Ken Liu says, every act of communication is a miracle of translation. Can anyone relate to that? Every act of communication is a miracle of translation. Friends, right now a miracle is happening. I'm speaking, you're listening. Probably something very different than what I'm saying. <laughs> Every act of communication is a translation of miracle, and we know that miracles happen every day, but also not. Here is an example, many of you may have seen this, of a very old advertisement on TV uh, that demonstrates the miracle, and sometimes the mess, of language. Hier ist mein Sektor. Das hier ist das wichtigste Gerät des Küstenwächter. Das Gerät und das Gerät. Überlebensradar. 
Hello? This is the German Coast Guard. We are thinking, we're thinking. What are you thinking about? We can make fun of any language, by the way. Every act of communication is a miracle of translation. This became clear to me when I came to last year in 2001 from South Africa, fresh off the boat. I met Leilani. We did not date yet, but uh, we drove together to a restaurant or something. I forget some errand that she had to do, Leilani, my now wife. Um, and we were in the car, and, and, and I noticed that she was doing something that in South Africa we tried to do. And I told her, use your indicators. And she was like, what? And she, she kept on driving, and I was like, oh, you know, you generalize when you don't understand something. I was like, Americans all just don't use indicators. She's like, what? I was like, use your indicators. She was thinking that she was not communicating properly with me, and she, that she needs to indicate her feelings or something like that. I'm like, no, 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 use your turn signal. In South Africa, we call turn signals, or what do you call them, blinkers? There are many other ways by which they go, I think, but we call them indicators. <laughs> I was talking to her, and the miracle of translation. Uh, there's language barriers, and then sometimes, of course, language is culture, but you add other cultural barriers. When I came to the US, and I was confronted with uh, what you call a sport, baseball, <laughs> I, I tried to explain people what cricket was all about, and boy, that was lost in translation. I said, it's really simple. Cricket is a team where there are two teams. The one team goes out on the field and tries to get the, the team that is in out. And so one player called a bowler runs in and tries to get the batter who is in out, and once the bowler who is out on the field runs in and gets the batter out, the batter who was in comes out, and the next player from the team who is in comes out and goes in and tries not to get out. It's pretty simple. <laughs> There's more where that came from, but I won't bore you with the rest. <laughs> Every act of communication is the miracle of translation. And here in Acts chapter 14, we find the tension of the example of translation and the miracle and sometimes the mess that happens. Acts chapter 14, we find a healing and responses to this healing. And what is interesting is Acts, the way in which the author put Acts together, this healing and story in chapter 14 is a parallel with Peter's healing in chapter 3. And as you will see on the screen and follow along, they there are a number of things they share in common. In fact, most of it is a, a direct parallel. We see that there is a man in both stories, for Peter and for Paul, that was crippled from birth. We see in both instances, Peter and Paul used the, the verb look intently to the person. We may think that look intently is a, you know, we use these words all the time, but it's the only time we find these two, this word, it's one word in Greek, it's the only time we find this word used in Acts. And so there's a direct parallel between these two. A man crippled from birth, and both apostles look intently at this man. 
This crippled man is then told to stand up, stand up. They both stand up. In fact, the crippled man doesn't just stand up, but they respond by leaping as you would when you are healed. And then we find a speech, both by Peter and by Paul. Peter's speech is long. <laughs> Paul's speech is a little shorter. And then we see that there's mixed reaction in both instances. In both instances, immediate reaction is mixed for Peter and mixed for Paul. And then we see that in both stories there is what I call violent conclusion. In Peter's story, he is jailed. That is violence, taking somebody's captivity, freedom, and putting them in captivity. So in Peter's story, Peter is jailed, but he's released the next day, and Scripture says that many became, leave, lead, uh, many became believers, and uh, it says uh, up to 5,000 uh, they had grown, the group of believers. So in Peter's story, parallel all the way until the response is violence through jail, and many became believers. And then for Paul and Barnabas, who's with him, Peter had John, the sidekicks are important. But then we see for Paul, the violence that he experiences is that he is stoned and left for dead is what scripture says. And at the end of the story, we see that there is no mention of any converts. Context matters. Communication matters. And so we see in both these stories, these accounts of this healing that takes place, a response happens. But the context could not be any different for these two. For Peter and John preaching in uh, these towns where they were, there were temple courts. They were in the synagogues. Meaning there were Jews and then there were God-fearing Gentiles. Gentiles who had stepped into the process of proselyting but not quite yet finished. So when Peter had this healing and did his long speech, he was speaking to a mainly Jewish audience or people who understood the Jewish uh, faith. But for Paul and his miracle story, we see he's in a Gentile town. In fact, this is the, the first time that we see Paul and Barnabas preached to an exclusively Gentile audience. They had gone before, earlier in the chapter, to Cyprus, Pisidian, Antioch, and Iconium, and they were all, all three of those towns had synagogues, and they preached there, and, and there was, again, a mixed response. But here in Lystra, in chapter 14, there's no mention of any synagogue at all, and so it's the first time we see the faith being translated and communicated to a group that has no inkling about the God of Israel and the Jewish faith. And so we see in these healings, the Lyconians, they recognize the divine. A healing takes place and they recognize the divine because they said, the gods have come down in human form. By the way, that is who Jesus is, a God in human form. They recognize the divine, and then they begin to shouting, the God have come down in human form. And then we see, so they understand the miracle and that the divine is involved with it, but they attribute it to something else. And then they think that Barnabas is Zeus, <laughs> the chief Greek god, and that Hermes, uh, and that Paul is Hermes, the messenger of the gods. 
You would wonder why it's that way, since Zeus is the, the biggest of the gods, maybe that should be Paul, but apparently uh, Zeus looked older and Barnabas must have been older, and Paul was the one who talked so much, and they believed that Hermes was the messenger of the gods, so the one who speaks a lot <laughs> would be Hermes. And then we see even the local priest of Zeus gets in on the action, bringing the oxen and the garlands over for sacrifice. It's like a scene from the book Percy Jackson, for those of you who follow them. Uh, or it would be like having Pastor Steve and Pastor Ben, who Pastor Ben is here today on his first official Sabbath. Welcome, Pastor Ben. You did not know it, but you are Hermes, my brother. That would be like saying Pastor Ben and Pastor Steve are Zeus. Steve is obviously Zeus because he's much older and has the beard. But thank you, Jeff uh, McFarland, for helping me with that. So that's kind of what it would be like. So, but here we see, they think that Paul and Barnabas are Hermes and Zeus. Now, we would think this surprising, but it's not, because in Lister, this town, there was a legend uh, that once Zeus and Hermes visited this land and disguised themselves, the gods, as mortals, but nobody gave them hospitality except for one older couple, and so Zeus and Hermes in their anger and rage wipe out the entire population of many centuries back Lystra, except for the old couple. And so this may help the explanation when these two gods came and did this healing, they're like, we don't want that to happen to us again. Things get lost in translation. This is a humorous experience, but it is also a serious story. So how do Paul and Barnabas respond? How does the gospel get communicated to people who have no inkling? The first thing we see from this story is that Paul leaned into a shared humanity. The people said the gods have come down to us in human form. But Paul says, friends, friends, why are you doing this? We are mortals just like you. See, if he was speaking in a Jewish context, he would talk about a shared history, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, etc., etc. But he's speaking to an exclusively Gentile audience, and so rather than speaking about the shared history, salvation history, he speaks about a shared humanity. And by the way, Paul absolutely refuses to exploit this group of people and their superstitious, uncritical piety. He could have, but he did not. The interesting thing about this passage also, it starts in verse one, where it says that Saul and Barnabas were anointed to go out on their first missionary uh, um, teaching journey. And so it's interesting because we'd already shifted from Saul becoming Paul, but in chapter 14, 14 the, the narrator says Saul was anointed to go on this mission. But once we get to the story of the people in Lycia who are exclusively Gentile, the narrator switches to Paul. And you may think that this is a small thing, 
But it makes sense because Saul is a Hebrew name, after all, the first great king of Israel. But Paul is a Greco-Roman name. It has Greco-Roman roots. So as Paul, Saul, Paul, starts his mission to the Gentiles, to those outside of the Jewish system, he goes by a name that is more like theirs. That is significant because he believes in a shared Humanity. By the way, as a side note, the first work of communication, communicating the gospel to people who have no clue is the job of clarification, separating the messengers of God from the presence of God. Because we too often confuse our presence with the presence of God, whether it's intentionally or not. We have been joined with God, but from God's side, not our side. And so as we talk about our sermon series and the question, why? What kind of church we want to be moving around in the world? The first thing we learn from the story in Acts chapter 14 is that we have to lean in to a shared humanity with all people. Thank you, Rob. Secondly, we see that Paul and Barnabas lean into a shared story. And it's important for us to recognize here that this is not the Jewish story in chapter 14 that Paul, once he has his speech after the miracle, it's not a Jewish story. It is not even the story of Jesus. He does not mention Jesus as the promised Messiah because the Gentiles have no background of that. But he shares the story of creation. And so we see in verse 15, Paul says, friends, why are you doing this? We are mortals just like you, shared humanity. And we bring you good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to follow their own ways, yet he has not left himself without a witness and doing good, giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. Paul does not go into a salvation history. He does not go into Jesus. They have no clue. He talks about the living God and rain and nature and crops and joy. The things that the Gentiles, that the Jews, that all people experience and have in common. A shared humanity and a shared story of the divine that provides that enlivens. We call that general uh, revelation, special revelation in Jesus through the word of God and general revelation through God's created being. And so we see Paul shares humanity, he shares a common story, and then unfortunately we see that the miracle of translation becomes the mess of translation. And in studying this passage, there are many uh, scholars who try to defend Paul here and said that this is a legitimate way to evangelize. But I, I have some questions about this. And perhaps Acts 14 is in Scripture to teach us a lesson. It's an example of failed communication, of a mess of translation. Because Paul goes on the attack and attacks alienate. Verse 15 through 17, 
We just read it, but want to highlight this part. Friends, why are you doing this? Why are you mortals? We're mortals just like you, and we're bringing you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. True how that may be, Paul attacks their beliefs, and when you diss someone else's reality, you alienate them. And so we see that Paul goes on the attack. I don't blame him too much. It's a crazy scene to be called a god. Well, I think I kind of like being called a god. But it's a crazy scene when you are the messenger on behalf of God to be called the Greek gods. And as he sees this happening, Paul, Saul, who was the persecutor, and we know quick to be angry, he responds and he goes on the, attacks, on the attack and he disses their worldview. Rather than having dialogue, he attacks. He may, he may be true that their gods are worthless, but that's not nice. This is similar to Moses in Exodus 32 uh, when he comes down from the mountain and seeing the people worshiping the false gods and he tears his clothes and he rips into them. But he could do that. He has the right to do it because his people knew about God. But here in this story of the Gentiles, they don't know about God. And so Paul is showing rightful correction, but to the wrong crowd. They obviously did not understand why they shouldn't worship them as gods. And so we see this is an example of a mess of translation. We have shared stories. We have shared humanity. And unfortunately, Paul goes on the attack and he alienates. If only he did not get this last step wrong. But the God of grace is witnessed in the scriptures time and time again. Praise God. Because Paul is human, he fails, but he learns. We share humanity with others. We share a story. We should not alienate. And then we need to listen and learn. Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry, I was trying to let the sound person know. <clears throat> Lost in translation right here. <clears throat> the sermon is going to finish by itself. <clears throat> so, I'm going to cough one more time. Kevin, can you kill that? Yeah, thank you. <clears throat> thank you. <clears throat> Let's go. Let's see how it goes. So, Paul listens and learns. And here's what happens. In chapter 14, he speaks to an exclusively Gentile audience. Later on, uh, three chapters later, we see that um, he speaks in Athens to another group of Gentiles, but a year and a half had passed, and he had time to listen and learn. And so we see the famous speech uh, on Mars Hill as an example of how he learned and he listened. And so see the difference in the two speeches. This is a little longer speech, um, so hang with me here, but here we go. <clears throat> When Paul was waiting for them in the Athens, he was deeply distressed so, uh, to see that the city was full of idols. 
So he argued in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons, <clears throat> and also in the marketplace. So he did go to the synagogues, but he went into the marketplace every day there uh, to those who happened to be there. Also some Epicureans and Stoic philosophers debated with him, so they took him and brought him to uh, Areopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are persisting, presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners living there <clears throat> would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. I love the way that scripture says that. They sound like cool people. Then Paul stood in front of the, er, <clears throat> that place and said, <clears throat> Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. So Paul affirms them and says, I see how religious you are in every way. He does not go on the attack, but he recognizes their faith. For as when I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them the altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. He does not go on the attack and say, your gods are worthless. He says, what you worship to an unknown God, I now clarify and proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the time of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live, so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each of us. For, famous passage, in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Paul learns and listens. And the cycle of learning and listening continues. For a year and a half, we believe, he was learning and listening and figuring out from his very first experience, preaching the gospel to an exclusively Gentile audience and failing. He has learned to listen and to share and to be in conversation, to be in dialogue to be learning, to be listening. We see Paul using the things and experiences of the people around him to better to relate to the people of Athens. Here is a very important point. We are not only called to know the story of Jesus, but we are also called to know the story of the world. Did you hear that? We're not off the world, we're in the world. We are not only called to know the story of Jesus. Friends, we do need to know the story of Jesus. But we are also called to know the story of the world. And I love this listen and learning thing. Our Advent, the Seventh-day Adventist denomination was founded on a mistake, if you like. We had to learn humility, but many did leave the faith back in the 1840s. But we came back time and time again in the loop of learning and listening to God's voice. Here we have an interesting thing. 
after they had proclaimed the good news to Derby, the town to which they fled after being left for dead. By the way, the, the Acts 14 says that the disciples encircled Paul's body. This is a side note. That's what Christians do. We encircle bodies left for dead. We encircle hurt. And also, by the way, it said that Paul and Barnabas went and they continued in the mission. Our hurt is not our own hurt. We share our hurt and carry each other's burdens. After they had proclaimed the good news, sharing their hurt and continuing to inspire each other, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra. Why would you go back? Why would you go back to the place where you were stoned and left for dead? Why would you go back? The gospel compels me, Paul would say, but I've learned and I've listened and I've found a more beautiful way. And so, we are in a series called Start With Why. We're in a long series. This is the 15th sermon in the book of Acts, and we're going to have a few more. But the question we ask is, what is the church community we want to create by design, not default, on purpose, not just because, and what will this church community value and prioritize? That's the question we're asking in this series, and we're looking to the book of Acts. And today, Acts chapter 14 says, why? What kind of church do we want to be? We want to be a church that understands the shared humanity of all of us. We want to be a church that understands we have a common story. We want to be a church that resists the temptation to attack. We need to be a church that repents and listens and learns. That is the story of Lost in Translation in Acts chapter 14. And to end off with one of my favorite comedians and people, the great Trevor Noah, South African compadre. This is what he says. He speaks, I think, about seven languages, four of them fluently. This is what he says. When you make an effort to speak someone else's language, even if it's just basic phrases here and there, you are saying to them, I understand that you have a culture and identity that exists beyond me. I see you as a human being. And he goes on to say, we don't make fun of people's accents. Friends, that's just a basic thing. We don't make fun of people's accents. We'll say it one more time and we get an amen. We don't make fun of people's accents. Amen. Right? Because somebody speaking in another language is seeing you as a human being. And ultimately, God comes down to speak another language in the accent of heaven, which is love and grace, so that we can hear and we can lean in to being hum human bodies and souls made in God's image, sharing the story of God's good creation and joy and freedom for us. And continuing the cycle of listening and learning 
to transform the world, our communities, our cities, our neighborhoods, our lives. Let's do it.